G'day and welcome to the Educated Hunter podcast. Today I catch up with a man named Jordan Berry. Jordan was one of the Ultimate OE originals. He left for Canada a number of years ago to go and work in the Yukon. He's been here ever since. So it's the first time I've physically caught up with Jordan in person since he left all those years ago. I've exchanged emails and message with him, messages with him over that period of time. But it was nice to sit down and have a catch up and tell a few stories about what he's been up to and how he's ended up living in Watson Lake. I hope you guys enjoy this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Without further ado, here is Jordan Berry. Thanks for taking the time. I know I've caught you in between <laughs> hunts where you're due to go away again tomorrow. Yes, tomorrow morning. Tomorrow yeah. morning for another 10 days. Uh, nope, seven days and then another seven day hunt. So two weeks. And that's the end of the season. That's the end. Right. So for context, we are in the Yukon. Yep. And you're working for Caesar Lake Outfitters. Yep, for Joel Wilkinson at Caesar Lake. Nice. And I'm here because I was supposed to do two hunts. <laughs> so I did the one hunt, um, guiding that is. Had a great time. We got a decent moose and a caribou. And then uh, second hunt, hunters arrived. Everybody's excited. Got into the bush, <laughs> got up the first morning of the hunt, it was nice and cold and clear, clients were all excited and Don, the Joel's uncle, who's also a pilot, <laughs> went outside for a pee and the lake was frozen, which is not good news when you've got a super cub parked no. <laughs> at your front doorstep <laughs> on floats, so then it was all panic mode and we had to had to pull the pin, I'm sure I'll tell that story in more detail when I catch up with Curran, but the end result was, that was the end of my Second hunt, so second hunt done. <laughs> I've been crawling around the hills. I drove back down into British Columbia and been crawling around the hills trying to find myself a stone sheet. Yep. And yeah, just managed to catch up with you. That's good. Mate, do you remember what year you did Ultimate OE? 14. That was in 14. So Four years ago. Trained in 14? Yeah, January 2014. Yeah, and then travelled. Down in Dunedin. We're in Dunedin at that stage. Yeah. That's when you boys used to sneak off and chase all the <laughs> all the first year first year university students. And, I know that was the others. Uh-huh. <laughs> We've since moved it to Waimati. It's a little harder to run around match on Tinder when you're in Waimati, unfortunately. <laughs> yep. I think it was the second year you had Ultimate OE. I think. Yeah, second year it would be. Yep. Because you were, yep. Because the first year Joel had Young from. Alexandra. Russ, Russ. Russell. Russell. Russ. Yes. They called him Gus because Joel's sister has a dog called Gus and her kids used to call him Gus as well. (laughs) Good old Russell. Okay. And then so you would have been second in here and actually sitting next to a a bag here. We're doing this in a trailer, which is where (laughs) I'm staying. And next to me is a bag for Mark Welsh, who was one of the boys from this year, who went back into the bush, was been here since early late july i think yeah about 20th of july i think he went in 20th of july and he came out for a couple of days and he's gone back in again on a boat hunt on a boat hunt today so he's getting the full experience and we can't wait to catch up with him but yeah 2014 you did ultimate oe Mm -hmm. and left for canada in june 2014 and you're still here and then found Joel's wife's sister, <laughs> and Mary, I'm still here. The Outfitters' sister-in-law. Yep. 
Strong move. <laughs> Strong move. Don't know if that puts you in direct line to inherit the outfit, unfortunately. Yeah. For me and Curran, I don't think it's going <laughs> to lead to any actual hunting for us, but good for you. Yeah. So I don't know if I get employment from Joel for because of family or whether I'm actually good. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been a while. I mean, have you been, so you would have gone... 2014, you would have wrangled. Wrangled, and then, and then I went to Harvey's at the Whitetail. Okay, yep. In Saskatchewan. He just sold that, did you know that? Yeah, I saw that on um, Facebook, new out, or new owners and posting up pictures. Yep. I either thought Harvey got technological or someone else got it. <laughs> yeah, no, there was never much chance of that happening. No, he's uh, he sold up, so I had two of the Ultimate OE boys in there this spring Oh, nice. Helping build and fix up a couple of cabins mm-hmm. for the new owners. And then one of the boys who's up at Rogue River at the moment, um, he's going back for the whitetail season with the new owners. So oh, nice. it'll be interesting to see what his experience is like. Yeah. So you did Caesar Lake, Harvey's. When did you fall in love? Where does that fall on the timeline? I arrived in the Yukon the same time that Liz arrived in the Yukon. She flew up to see her sister. Right. She's from uh, High River in Calgary, or just south of Calgary there. Right. And she flew up to see Courtney, and then I guess it snowballed from there. I asked Joel for a week off to go see the Calgary Stampede before I completely went bush. Right. And booked a ticket, stayed with Liz down there, and wrote letters while I was in the bush to her, because that was the only way of communication. (laughs) Yeah, it's changed a bit now. I'm just sitting next to this. Garmin Inreach. Those things are amazing. Aren't they? Like, this has been my first... I've known about them for a while, and I'm mm-hmm. holding in my hand the Mark II, which is sort of like the um, the bigger Garmin yep. GPS size. But Joel gave us to me to use for the season, and it's been fantastic. It syncs with your iPhone, mm-hmm. and it's basically just like texting. Once you're yep. on a, make sure you're on an unlimited plan, yeah. Because otherwise, you'll <laughs> send yourself be background <laughs> background. But they're unreal, and they've just completely revolutionised. Yeah, they're amazing. Like I. Been texting with my partner, easy. Been you know mm-hmm. family. Anyone who's got a cell phone, you just text them. Text them, and then also the other guides if you're in got two guided camps or whatever. And yeah, I and just, then obviously the SOS button on there too. If you yeah, it's sort of all in yourself. one now. So you've got a essentially what is an EPIRP because it sends a location mm-hmm. of where you are when you ping it. Yeah, you can communicate. I mean, the only thing you can't do on it is talk. Yeah, but. In reality, that one, that one there has got a map and GPS on it too. Yeah. So yeah, it's got the full, full <laughs> works. And the good thing is, is if you're hunting or guiding with somebody, if you you can message back and forth mm-hmm. if you need help, which I yep. did at one stage. <laughs> <laughs> I can, you know, please help me, Don. I'm in the custard. Yeah, you know, and just send it to him, and he can tell. You know, within you know, it sends him a GPS location exactly where I am when mm-hmm. I message him, and he can just come and help. Fantastic, yep. awesome. I used mine last year. Shot a caribou, last light of the last day, four and a half hour ride from camp. Yeah. And get back to the, shot the caribou, started cutting it up. Get back to the horses. One of my horses is missing. He broke the halter and ran back to camp. (laughs) So I rode up there with one horse, packed one horse and walked the hunter and myself out. And I ended up messaging James to say, hey, can you bring a pack horse and a, spare saddle because my hunter is done he's sitting in the swamp crying <laughs> he yeah, was done just so broken. yeah 
Yeah. And yeah, we, we ended up arriving back at camp, I think at four in the morning, five in the morning, and the plane turned up at eight. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah, those big days are hard on gear. But as you say, like, I was sort of new to it. Don, who is Joel's uncle, he's 60, <laughs> turned 62, 63, around, around the bush. Yeah. Just the other day. So we had a little birthday party for him in the cabin. <laughs> but. Did he, he get his pumpkin pie? No, he didn't get a pumpkin pie. He got oh. a cheesecake. Oh. A very rich cheesecake, <laughs> which he promptly put on the back of the Argo when I was in the plane. <laughs> this is funny. Like, Don's a pilot, and the, one of the main pilots that Joel and Caesar Lake uses, they use black sheep aviation, and they use a girl called Rachel. Rachel also yep. pilot. Yep. Great fun to be around. Haven't spent a lot of time with her, but she is yep. seems like a really nice person. So Don had prepared this new docking station for the float plane, right? <laughs> so he'd been out there with the Argo, checking the depth and pulling out brush and just making it oh, perfect, wow. right? So he's all proud. The plane comes into this new spot and it gets about <laughs> 15 metres from shore and beaches, right? <laughs> and just stops. So I just laugh and laugh and laugh and Don's giving me the evil eye. But anyway, I stripped down onto me Grundies and walked out there and got the plane turned around and Mm-hmm. He was driving the Argo out, and we were loading gear and people onto the Argo. And there was a a package that was obviously meant for Don's birthday that he didn't know about. Yeah, that he put right on top of the Argo pile. <laughs> and as he got out of the lake and back up onto the shore, because the Argos are amphibious, for those who don't know, they float. They're like yep. a boat. They don't move quickly in the water, but they do move quite well. But when he hits the shore, he bounces that one package with his <laughs> cheesecake, and they had a whole bunch of like cheese rolls and oh, no. all this kind of <clears> stuff that. Not ideal to get wet. No. Bounces off the back into, into the, lake the lake and it's floating around and poor old Rachel's <laughs> like, oh no. So we had slightly soggy cheesecake, I would say, oh. for his birthday. But anyway, Don at 63 is a technological marvel with his <laughs> inreach and his iPads and iPhone. He's over there yep. and he's texting and not as any texting everybody on the outside world, but he's texting all the other guides, which he knows around the territory, <laughs> which other than you, I didn't really know any of the other guides. Yeah. So I wasn't getting involved in that. I was just texting my partner at home and checking up my yep. sister's had a new baby and all that kind of stuff. But Don, he's over there. He must send 100 messages a night. The guy's a machine. <laughs> it's like watching a teenager. <laughs> yeah, my love-struck teenager. Yeah. Okay, back to you. Intense. So Calgary Stampede, bit of whitetail, back into Joel. And then there must have been a – you got married relatively quickly. When did you get married? Um, 2016. Mm-hmm. So we... A couple of years. Because I went to Harvey's, still didn't have a phone, so still writing letters. Nice. And then ended up getting a phone while I was at Harvey's, and then went back, saw Liz, asked her if she wanted to come to New Zealand, and my dad was struggling with cancer at the time. I remember that. So we... Doctor told him that this would be his last Christmas. This is Christmas 2014, so... I asked Liz if she wanted to come to New Zealand for a couple of weeks and see the family. On the plane, I told her that uh, nobody knows that we're coming home. It's kind of a surprise. So she started freaking out. <laughs> and she's like, well, does anyone know about me? Like, Classy. Nope. <laughs> so not only did they not know you were coming home. They didn't know about Liz at all. They didn't know about Liz. So you just bring some random Canadian woman <laughs> home with you. So and I'm going to reserve comment about that. That's that's out there. So I even got a shuttle from the airport to my place just north of Matamata there and 
got out of the plane, out of the shuttle, and no one recognized me because I had big bushy hair and a full-grown beard. And I was always clean the, shaven. You've been on the ultimate OE diet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no one recognized me. No one knew who Liz was. Yeah. And so they're all staring out the window. And then as soon as I grabbed my backpack, that's when my brother rep- recognized he recognized the backpack and he's like oh that's jordan no kidding <laughs> he ran out and obviously everyone was all emotional and upset and <laughs> wow yeah so spent uh, three weeks in new zealand came back done some trapping done some wolf trapping and wolf hunts with joel through mm-hmm. february march bit of cabin building that was the first time I ever experienced minus 43 celsius <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was the coldest that got that winter it's different. It's different. It's a different cold, though. It's a different cold. It's a dry cold, but it's people up cold. here don't seem to notice it too much. Like, I'll never forget one of my favorite memories of Joel. <clears throat> and me and Joel actually go back a long way. He was my original, I guess, mentor guiding. So I got mm-hmm. my first job in New Zealand guiding for an outfit called Kiwi Safaris. And um, boss at the time was Mike Freeman. Mm-hmm. head guide was Colin Rayner and I started relatively early and I was just a lackey and they were all talking about this guy Joel Wilkinson you know yeah. from Canada and you know this <laughs> dashing guide from Canada and Joel turned up and I was like oh, that's not what I expected but he uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was an absolute legend and he, Colin stuck with him right away so I learned you know right from scratch with Joel mm-hmm. but I came my first year, or might have been my second year in Canada. Yeah, it was my second year in Canada. Got out of British Columbia. Mm-hmm. I'd finished wrangling there, and I wanted to visit Joel because he's obviously lives in Watson Lake, but he was still out guiding. So Terry was still flying at that time. Mm-hmm. Flew me in. No, didn't he fly me? No, we drove into the Coal River. Oh, yeah. And got on the jet boat <clears throat> with Joel. And it was October, so it was the last hunt of the season. And it was cold. Yeah. Like, it was proper cold. I remember, distinctly remember thinking, I do not have the required equipment for this kind of cold. And ice been, coming down the river, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Bits of ice coming down the river. And, like, Joel, like, we're huddled at the front. I was there with uh, Mark Harrison, another Kiwi outfitter. Oh, yeah. Yep. So we're sitting in deck chairs in the boat, if yep. that makes sense. Yep. Deck chairs, I'm remembering it rightly. Just bundled up. And freezing my ass off. And I never will forget this. Turning around looking at Joel, who was, he wasn't wearing a t-shirt, but he was just wearing a light jacket. Yep. And And jeans. And jeans. And gum boots. (laughs) No gloves. With bits of ice in his beard, just cruising down the river like it was another summer holiday. (laughs) I was like, like these these guys... (laughs) Are built differently from me. <laughs> the blood's a little thicker. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I don't know if I can do this. Yeah. Okay, so you surprised your family for Christmas, came back, did a bit of trapping. Because Joel at that time used to do trap line experiences, didn't mm-hmm. he? Yeah. Does he still do those? I think he would do the odd one, but I, he didn't do any last year. All this winter just gone. Yeah, real life yeah. will catch up on you. Yeah. Joel <laughs> used to guide nearly, well, not guide, but be in the bush Probably 10 months of the year. At least. Like, apart from show season. Yeah. So I used to do the different shows around the United States. So Reno slash Vegas for SCI and Dallas. Dallas. And I think I used to do Harrisburg. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the time he was trapping. So he would trap up till January, and then you'd do the shows January, February, 
Then you'd trap in March. March for the Wolves. March for Wolves. April, we'd fly to New Zealand. Do the season in April. Do a full season in New Zealand. So April, May, June, July mm-hmm. in New Zealand. August, you'd fly back to the Yukon for yep. guiding season in the Yukon. So August, September, October. October. Late October, caribou hunts. Then mm-hmm. he used to drive down to Alberta. Yep. And do a deer season in Alberta. So that would have been late October, November into December. Yep. Come home and trap up till January. January, February, yeah. <laughs> Dude, like. He said there was a few years when he was in New Zealand, he'd fly sort of July 29th and July 30th, he'd trail horses in. Yeah. And start guiding. <laughs> yeah. He, yeah, lives for it. Now he's outfitting. And I'm going to. Now he's married and outfitting. <laughs> married and outfitting. And dare I say it, he's not as uh, chiseled as he used to be. Because <laughs> <laughs> the way I used to always describe Joel is just chiseled because the man was constantly working and yep. doing outdoor stuff, climbing, snowshoeing, outfitting, guiding, mm-hmm. you name it. He was cutting firewood, chainsaw, train, you know, trailing yep. horse, like just flat out the whole time. So he was chiseled. Yeah. Like the rest like the rest of us used to have an off season where we'd get fat. He never used to have one. No. Now no. he's got an outfit as buddy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna do a I'm gonna bring it up actually. I'm gonna do a um, podcast with Joel in a couple of days, I'll bring it up. Okay, so back to you. Back to Canada did some trapping job. When did you get married? Two thousand sixteen. Yeah. So I proposed uh April eighth and took Liz to Skagway. Right in the middle of the roar. That's rookie mistake, that is. Yep. yep. So, yeah, I missed the roar. October, April 8th, I proposed. Took her to Skagway and flew to New Zealand, I think, the 13th or the 14th of April because Dad was getting really, really bad with his cancer and I had to go and take over the farm. Yeah. So flew in April and stayed in New Zealand until late June uh, and then I flew back to Canada, saw Liz... Went to Joel's wedding, um, organized our own wedding. We went touring around, picking different venues, and we picked uh, Kicking Horse Mountain Resort down in Golden, Golden BC. BC. Nice. Yep. And then flew back to New Zealand just as the first cow was calving. I think it was like 10th of July, 14th of July. And then stayed in New Zealand for a whole year. And then Liz came over for eight months. She got a work permit. And right. Worked for eight months because you wouldn't have got your, you wouldn't have been able to guide here until you had your, your residency. residency. Yep, and I only got a one year work permit. Right, uh, about a month. Back in the day, yeah, a month after I got it, they changed the rules to two years. <laughs> yeah, and they wouldn't change my permit. <laughs> you just be thankful now. They've just changed the rules again. Oh, you can still get a two year <clears> work <throat> permit, but you have to go to Auckland for a biometrics test now. So oh. no, no matter where you are, for you, matter, matter, it wouldn't have mattered too much. Yeah. For guys who are applying from Dunedin, yeah. it's kind of a pain in the ass. You have to go yeah. all the way to, I don't know if that's in effect yet, but the rumor <laughs> was they were going to bring it in and, well, they shut it yeah. down in September and they don't reopen it until generally in the new year. And when they reopen in the new year, apparently that's wow. um, the new <laughs> thing. So changes Crazy. every year. It's hard to, hard to keep track of. Yeah. So, been guiding for Joel now, I guess, for this will be your second year guiding. It's my second year guiding. Got residency November 1st, 2016, the day after hunting season finished. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> that tends out that they love to get their timing just right. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, okay, so you've done two years with a guiding. What have you learned? I've learned, well, main thing is that knives are very sharp. Yeah, you seem to be like a <laughs> pincushion. Like you've got three stitches in your finger now. Yeah. Yeah, and the year before that, I had eight stitches in my leg. Put a whole Havlon yeah. blade into my leg. Had a crack at your femoral. Yep. Just missed it. Just missed it. So <laughs> the year before that, Lucky. I got kicked by a horse and got four stitches just under my kneecap. <laughs> <laughs> How much did they have to spend on evac for you? None. None. That one None. there. You this one here, the, clean? Hunt, the hunter paid for it. It's kind of clean. It's not kind of clean. It looks filthy. Well, those, that's stained. Oh, that's as clean as I can get Sticking plaster was. Yeah. Don't get infected. That's your trigger Well, apparently you, Canada pays about 10 grand a finger, so. Oh, that's not too bad. Yeah, Joel yeah. will love that on your workers' comp. <laughs> <laughs> His premiums will go through the roof. <laughs> well, he's had two accidents in the last two days. <laughs> yeah, run me through that one with Josh. That sounded like a, I don't know if we should be talking about it, but I mean, it, th- here's a precursor. The reality is in the bush, when stuff goes sideways, it goes sideways quickly. Yep, very quickly. So what happened? So with Josh, yeah. So he uh, was shifting camp. He's in an Argo, shifting camp, and he blew a belt. What belt it was, I'm not too sure. But well, it would be the main stopped one. Stopped the machine. <clears throat> it, it has <clears throat> to be because there's only one belt in the month. The rest of it's chain driven. I haven't really looked under the hood of an Argo. Yeah, so I that, use a horse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Horses are a lot more reliable. <laughs> They're a little more of a chore to catch in the morning. Yes. But, um, overall. Like, I had some Argo trouble this season, too. When yeah. they break, they're a real pain in the ass. When they're going good, they're useful. They're good. So yeah. there's one main belt, so it's the same as a snow machine. I guess there's not too many of them in New Zealand either, but there's a clutch belt, oh, basically okay. a belt yeah. on the flywheel that when you put the revs on, it tightens up. Yeah. If that comes off, then you, you breaks your bucket. Yeah. So it'll be that one. That's sort of a the lifeline the of it. One, yeah. So he didn't have a spare one. So he had to get Don... And Mark flew over to do an airdrop with another belt in there and a bag and some flagging tape. So Don, uh, Josh lit a little fire for a smoke signal to locate where they are and Don flew past them and Josh thought that uh, Don never seen them. So he grabbed a gas can just to put a little bit of oomph into the fire and there was no flames. He said he saw no flames on the fire. It was just smoldering with a bit of smoke. And as he threw the uh, gas can on the the embers there, it obviously ignited. And as flames do, they follow the gas back towards the can. So <laughs> he moved. He shifted the can out of the way, out of the way of the Argo and the Hunter, and threw the can away. And as he threw the can, he sort of tripped and fell and landed on his shoulder and hit probably the only rock that was on the side of that mossy mountain <laughs> <laughs> and Sorry. evidently tore all the muscles on his shoulder yep so <clears throat> just speaking to joel earlier <clears throat> mark kiwi mark from the ultimate oe program mm-hmm. is going in to be his grunt m- muscle basically <laughs> <laughs> so yep. josh will be glassing looking for moose with one hand yeah and then when the business end of cleaning and butchering and lifting quarters comes in mark, mark will be there to help out which works out well for mark he gets to yeah, spends another on. two weeks in the bush. So yeah, good for him. Yeah, gets to see the moose right in full action. Yeah, and so, experience yeah. the difference because he's been with horses up to this point, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And who was he wrangling for? Mike. Mike. Mike Porter, one of the First Nation First guys. Nation yeah. guys. He would have learned a lot from oh, Mike. Yeah. yeah, that's uh, who I wrangled for my first year. 
What's he Mike. like? I've never met him. Uh, apparently, he slowed down a lot. <laughs> right. <laughs> but when I was with him, it was just go, go, go. Just balls just, to the wall the whole time. Just hunt, hunt, hunt. Yep. We would ride eight to ten hours a day, glass, late nights, come back just on dark. And up here in the Yukon, especially in August, darkness doesn't come till. 11. 12. (laughs) (laughs) And then it starts knocking back from there. Yeah. And then you're up at at the moment where. (laughs) Up at three catching horses. At the moment where September 20th and it's getting dark at nine o'clock. Yeah. So obviously, I think there's a 13 to 15 minute. It's something like that. It's crazy. It starts to change now. Like you lose 15 minutes of daylight. Yeah, I think it's at each end. At each end, so it's yeah. half an hour almost a day you lose. Yeah, which it's is crazy. Is crazy, and then by the end of September, early October, she's basically Mellowed shut out, down, yeah. and then by <laughs> November, December, she's yep pushing into the daylight darkness. Daylight about nine in the morning, and dark at around four. Yeah, yep. what's that like? I've never lived. I've been in it. I've, I've been involved with it, but I've never yeah. lived through it's, it. It's kind of weird driving to work with your headlights on in the morning. Like, yeah. It's just, and then it's cold, and then when the sun comes up, it's it gets colder, just like at home where you go out and get the cows in the morning, and then around that 6 o'clock, your frost starts to hit, and it gets really cold. Well, yeah. Here, you can almost have a 10-degree difference. You wake up, it's minus 25, and then when the sun starts coming out, it can reach minus 35. What do you do in the winter? I work... Uh, Last winter, I worked for a local contractor in town, just plowing snow and done some so trapping. Just pushing snow around. Yeah. And you've got your, you, I heard through the grapevine, you got your trapping license. Yes. That's got pretty my cool. Trapping license. I got that before my residency. Really? <laughs> yep. That's and then got my firearms license too, got that checked off. And then. We do all that at the training now. You miss out. Yeah. <laughs> done all the good stuff after it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we learned a lot with you boys. Yeah. And then also driver's license. Got a Yukon driver's license. That's key. So you can hunt here now. Yep. And then, yeah, this year I got my hunting license. Because in the Yukon, you have to be a Yukon resident for one year. For a year. For a whole year. And they wouldn't count my previous years that I was here. Ago. Yeah. That I was living here as a um, tourist. <laughs> right. Yeah. Fair enough. Too. So I had to start November 1st. So if you actually got to go on hunting yet or are you suffering the the life of a guide that you yeah suffering the life of a guide yeah (laughs) never actually get to go hunting went out last year took liz out last year she's got a license yeah and she shot a real nice caribou oh nice last day of the season october no 29th october 29th she shot that minus 25 yeah i was gonna say it'd be colder than (laughs) witch's nipple out there that time yeah it was it was a good trip but it was miserable i spent two hours standing in a creek Snow machine fell through the ice. Oh no! <laughs> and you sound, you're hard on gear. <laughs> Just Holy unlucky shit. on gear. <laughs> unlucky, yeah, that's one thing, <laughs> Mister. You showed me that photo before. We had that side by side on track, buried, <laughs> buried up to the door wells. Yeah. And I don't know if anyone's ever seen them on tracks before, but they stand about three feet off the ground. Yeah, it would be. And then I had three inches of water in the footwell. So I had it buried. You had it proper buried. <laughs> and then, you, what'd you say? You Took, pulled out the one, two willow bushes that were any good for yep. winching on. <laughs> they were done. The Argo couldn't pull us out. So we had to build 
well, the trees were about a mile away, so we had to go get trees. And then we had to build a tower in front of the side-by-side to lift it straight up. And then we just used trees and poles and put weights on the end and try to... We just okay, so you made out. like an A-frame? Nope. How did no you pull A. it straight up? Just built a tower and then backed the Argo in front of the side-by-side. Oh. And then hooked the winch to the tow bar and then so just, you're just winched winching, it straight up. So the Argo was above and you are just doing a straight winch straight up. Just and to then try to lift tr- it out of the mud. And it would have gone... Yep. It suctioned it down. Because <laughs> we couldn't find a bottom. There was one tree that we thought we might have found bottom at about seven feet down. Oh. It was just a big sinkhole. You did find a proper hole. <laughs> and what so, were you doing? You just like boogieing along and suddenly you were just like, whoops. Well, there was, yeah, just had to do a hunt change and it was a nice open meadow. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, oh, this is fine. There'd be no willows hitting in my face. and Yeah. So I avoided the water patches that were there and went across the grass and then she just stopped (laughs) put in reverse and nothing happened and put in forwards again and still nothing happened (laughs) (laughs) so you buried it yep took us 25 hours to get it out had to camp overnight next to the river and uh yeah eventually got it out with the argo (laughs) (laughs) it's hard on gear yeah so this year you and Joel's father, Terry, mm-hmm. did a sheep hunt. Yep. And you had what, father, son, or? Had a father and son from France. From France. So yep. he's French. Yep. And you guys shot what? So the first day, we they arrived in late, so we trailed to camp first day and just glassed around camp. August 2nd, we went out. We're mile and a half from camp, so that's about two Ks from camp. And nice bull moose is standing there eating the willows. And he's like, I'll take it. <laughs> so lined up, bull moose drops, and these nice 54-inch bull moose, I think he scored 199 inches. Right, so good. Yep. That's probably average here. Average, average? yeah. Yep. Real nice um, palms. It was really old. His antlers had the big drop just as they come out of the skull. Drooping, yeah. Real big drop. He had teeth missing and worn down, and he had barely any fat on him for an August moose. So just an old moose. Old moose. He was was done. Not going to make it through the winter. (laughs) Probably not. Might get his end away once in September, but more likely get his ass kicked by summer. And the previous year, I was in that camp, and I seen him the previous year, and he was a lot bigger. So he was definitely going down. Cool. So he would have nice been to take early on. 60, 62 inches last year. Wow. He was real nice. But yeah, so that was day one. And since we're as close to camp, I was able to, Terry and I were able to get meat back to camp and caped out that afternoon and salted and done. And next morning we went out looking for, yeah, well, anything. They just wanted to see anything, mainly sheep, but went out to Sheep Valley there and walked around and spotted a ram this is my first sheep hunt so we were a ways off so I said to terry he's like oh there's a ram over there we should get a little closer to see if he's legal and so we've done this big massive stalk up the valley went up around behind him and come on top of him and couldn't find him and uh the hunter's son he was sitting uh, about three meters off to the right from me and he could see just past a little knoll in front of us and 
sure enough, the sheep was just sitting down there and he spotted him. So got up a little closer and put the scope on him. And his um, tips went three inches past his nose. <laughs> so a no-brainer, so he, he was a no-brainer. Yeah. I still double-checked with Terry. Though. I was like, yeah. is he legal, Terry? <laughs> Terry's and, like, uh-huh. <laughs> yep. So we uh, put on a stalk and... We were in plain sight the whole time, so he was eating. He was feeding along towards us, and every time he stopped and would look up the mountain or around, we would freeze, and then he would eat, and then we would crawl down, and he would freeze. And so we got as close as we could, and three hundred and ten meters shot straight through the neck, put this ram down on the spot, and we get up to him, and. Oh, <laughs> it wasn't just a ram. No, I'm going to take over at this point. So, <laughs> people have been hunting doll sheep in the Yukon for probably a couple of hundred years, mm-hmm. conservatively speaking, and they've been keeping records of doll yep. sheep in the Yukon for probably since Boone and Crockett. So, we're talking Theodore Roosevelt's day. Early 1900s. Yep. And this sheep, your first ever guided sheep <laughs> in the Yukon, your first ever, is that one legal Terry sheep, is going to score out either number one or two. Yep. All Take- time ever taken in the Yukon by none. Yep. Ever. It's an, <laughs> it's an insane sheep. <laughs> like when I saw the picture Joel posted, well, no, he sent me a picture of it. And I was just like blown away. Like it is a, a tank. What did it how long was it? It was hundred and seventy eight inches and green. Green. Which and is important. Sixteenths or something. Yeah. yeah. Do you know how long he was on one side? Forty two. Forty two, yeah. And then forty one and a half on the other. So he's not an exceptionally long sheep, but boy is he heavy. He was fourteen and a half at the base. Yeah. So big. Heavy, heavy for a doll sheep. Yep. That's really heavy. And not only that, his, his heaviness continues along. Which is key. Because which is key. From memory, and I might stuff this up, but you get a, a base measurement and you get you two go the, more measurements. Yep. So you go the length divided by three. Divided by three and you get two more measurements. So if they carry that weight, that actually mm-hmm. means a lot more score-wise than it does in length. Because if you get two... Yep really good mass measurements that eclipses maybe being a 45 inch sheep mm-hmm. it eclipses that but it's a tank and it's you're going to get the buckle for the Yukon because the Yukon will give a buckle to mm-hmm. the guide who guides to the biggest of every species in the Yukon in any given season yep. except, so, except goat except goat yeah because Joel's the only outfit in the Yukon that takes goats oh Cheeky bugger. <laughs> so yeah, a little bit of a wooden goat. spoon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. I didn't know that, but that's funny. All right. So a bit of a wooden spoon, but you're going to get a sheep buckle. Mm-hmm. But not only are you going to get a, a buckle for sheep, it's going to be the Yukon. Because every outfit, generally speaking, every outfit I've worked for, will give buckles to the guides, whoever gets the biggest of anything for a season. Mm-hmm. So just within an outfit. And then on top of that, you've got every animal shot in the entire British Columbia or Yukon, and you'll get a buckle for that. So to my knowledge, you're the only ultimate OE cadet who's going <laughs> to get a Yukon or 
like a province buckle, which is a big deal. Yeah. But not only that, you're going to have your name next to is either going to be the number one or number two sheep, sheep. of all time in Boone and Crockett record yeah. book. That's pretty cool. And I got them in my red bands. Got them in your red bands? <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. Man. Yep. I'll be 80% of my animals this year have gotten red bands. You know what? I, I had a bit of a moment because <laughs> in New Zealand, Joel, you couldn't get him out of his gumboots, right? Yeah. He used to eat hunting tar in his gumboots yep. quite happily. <laughs> you know, and not freaking paddock tar. We're talking proper tar yeah. in his gumboots. You know, get out of a helicopter in his gumboots. Yeah. Away you go up the side of a mountain. And uh, this year, so the moose that I, I got with my client, I uh, it was way up in the alpine, like way, way <laughs> up on top. And uh, I, I we were sitting, we were set up probably 200 yards from him, and mm-hmm. he was bedded down and sleeping. Like you can see their horns rock back and hit the ground, and they wake up and they're <laughs> like this, right? And he was just behind a spruce tree, so we had no shot. So you had to stand up to shoot him. Yeah. And Don was there. He went to sleep after about 20 minutes, <laughs> and his client was above him, and he went to sleep after about 35 minutes. And then my client was nodding, and I was jabbing him in the ribs to try and keep him awake because I knew when he stood up, he was either going to go up and we'd get no shot, or he was going to turn around and come down, and we had a window, and it wasn't a very big one. So yep. there wasn't enough time for a waking up process to occur. <laughs> <laughs> so I was trying to keep him awake. But anyway, I was sitting there, and we probably waited for an hour and a half before he finally stood up. Oh, yeah. And over that time, I looked down, and I was wearing a pair of – Joel's muck boots that he had given me before I went into camera. I was like, you know what? If I get this moose, I think I've officially graduated to a, a Caesar Light Lake <laughs> slash Wilkinson guide killing a moose in the Alpine in my gumboots. And your gumboots. Yep. Yeah. Nice. I wish I had red bands though. Those muck boots get so hot. Oh, hot and sweaty. and Yeah. yeah. They're good in the winter when you're riding it. Like when it's cold, you're riding oh, in yeah. Argo, nice and toasty. Red yep. bands don't hold a lot of heat. No. 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 Better for hiking. Yeah, so... Good old red bands came through. I think I've got. Did I get? Do you get married in red bands? Yep, they're the same ones. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been you at your wedding, and then you just yeah. <laughs> graduated to sheep hunting. Yeah, nice. Yeah, nice. so yeah, record sheep, and then also got that guy a caribou and a goat. That hunt nine days of hunting four animals. That doesn't happen very often here, <laughs> as you probably know at this point. Yeah, we're. A, Terry, Terry and I were just going for it. <laughs> yeah. He done, whenever I was skinning, he was cooking, and we just, just kept go, waking go, up go, at go, four go. next morning and go again. <laughs> and they were a French guys. Yep. French. Random. I've never had a French client. Huh. They were, yeah, French from Britannia. There's mm. another French country that's slightly different. Really? Apparently. <laughs> showing a uh, uh, prowess as uh, <laughs> as I don't know ge- geographers yeah um, yeah that's pretty cool I, I I still can't get that sheep again it measured 177 and a bit or 178 and a bit yeah. green so for a top 10 animal it might even be a top 20 animal can't remember there's a mandatory 30 day or 60 day 60 60 day drying period Mm -hmm. so animals like sheep in particular will shrink a bit yeah 
over that period. So you've got to wait that 60 days. And I think that's over on October 2nd, Second, I think. We'll get it remeasured. 3rd. October 3rd. We shot him August 3rd. So yeah, it'll be around 3rd. there. And he will be remeasured. And then we'll actually know. Because I don't think, like, the what did that tag sell for? There was a, a Yukon tag. Uh, um, starts the national sure. park. It's not a national park. It's an area that they don't usually hunt. Starts with Kloani. Kloani tag. Yeah, a couple of years ago, sold for like two hundred fifty thousand or three hundred thousand or something. Yeah, just for the opportunity to shoot a big Yukon shoot. Yeah, like if you could, you know, <laughs> say to a client, "I'm going to guarantee you the number one or two sheep in the Yukon." Like you it's could worth. Sell that. You could sell yeah. it for a, like. There's some sheep hunters who are got it bad yeah. <laughs> like, got it real bad <laughs> it would pay you know freaking 500,000 for that yep US yep. like it's a big deal I'm not sure if you realise how big of a deal it is it's a big deal no I didn't didn't know much about score but I knew it was a good sheep when uh, Terry took a shot of whiskey <laughs> oh really <laughs> yeah and Terry never yeah. touches alcohol never drinks all. never does anything and that night we like got back that. to camp and he, was he measured excited. it up and then he took a shot of whiskey I was like it must be a pretty darn good sheep. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. He was a twelve-year-old too. He was on his wow. last legs. Yep. So a twelve-year-old. Oh no, man, that's pretty freaking cool. <laughs> I like that. Okay, yep. so I don't know what to talk about next. I don't know. I'm tempted to talk about what Eugene's doing in New Zealand right now. <laughs> in that tar thing, like I've like literally, I got a message from Curran on my inreach. <clears throat> He's like, I hope you're enjoying your sheep hunt, bud. But there's something you should know. I'm not going to get into it, but let it just be known that all the way up here in the Yukon, Canada, a couple of Kiwis sitting here shaking their heads thinking, what a grotesque waste of a resource. What a crying shame. It's just ridiculous. Yes, they need to be controlled. Yes, there are probably Mm -hmm. too many of them right now. But ordering a blanket extermination like that, oh, Gets me wild. <laughs> yeah. Kept me up last night, actually. You know, you know, when you're on your own and you're walking yep. and you start talking to yourself. Yeah. I had pretty much written a letter, an angry letter to Eugene <laughs> in between. Because I had a big walk today. I probably walked 18K today. 18, 20K. Yeah. And on that walk, the whole time I was just lamenting different <laughs> little acronyms to throw at Eugene when I email her tomorrow. Yeah. Have you emailed her yet? No, I haven't. I'm going to get on to that going to send her a wee email tomorrow and let her know just how I feel about her new TAR program. So we'll leave that alone, as tempting as it is to dive into it. <clears throat> Scariest experience while you've been here? <laughs> well, I thought it was <clears throat> falling off a horse when I first started, but that all changed about a week ago. That's quite good fun. Yeah, falling off a horse isn't as bad. <laughs> no. <laughs> the stupidest thing i done on a horse though was one late night had a pack full of goat meat went to jump on the horse and you always climb on from the left side and put the right foot in the left stirrup and climbed up <laughs> and kind of backwards with a backpack of- <laughs> backpack full of meat so when you got a backpack full of meat you kind of use all your momentum to swing yourself up so I was part way up and realized i had the wrong foot in this is like two o'clock in the morning i was completely buggered and <laughs> I was like, maybe I could just turn myself while I'm, you know, facing the ass end of the horse. But 
the momentum of my backpack just carried me over and I went on to the other side of the horse and landed on my back. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is stupid. I'll give you that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's some some level explainable. I understand on some level. I've been that buggered before. <laughs> I really have. I remember coming down off a hill one day on a horse and I had a backpack full of meters well and I had same thing got back to the horses like two o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. and they've been standing all day and of course we'd loosened off all these cinches <laughs> oh. so i got on the horse fine <coughs> got on the horse fine and i was just sort of riding along and we're just sort of sidling along this little bit and i just started <laughs> to feel myself go <laughs> and there's when you start going there's actually very little you can no. do it's kind of like <clears throat> trying to hug a 44 gallon drum with your <laughs> with your legs but he was, the horse was all hot and sweaty, so it was all just a big yep. hodgepodge. And, I, and as soon as I tipped over that equilibrium point with that backpack full of meat, just ran no. away. And I was literally sitting underneath the horse, still in the saddles, feet still in the stirrups, but out like this. And I remember looking up and the horse's head was looking at me underneath. Like, I'm so lucky I had a bulletproof horse. Cause that is very lucky. It would have literally killed yep. me. <laughs> And like it, I sat there, like I was stuck there because I was sort of wedged between underneath the horse and the ground because we were sidling, yeah. and I'd sort of gone in against the moss, and it had <laughs> sort of wedged me in there. So I was kind of like stuck and you're in harnessed this in your backpack, and I'm harnessed <laughs> a bit. Like it's all this horrible thing. The horse was looking at me, blowing. Like he wasn't happy. Yeah. Like it's not like he was totally chilled out. He was not <laughs> a happy camper. <laughs> and I remember Garth, the guy, being like, "Get out, get out!" And I was like, "I can't." I can't. <laughs> so he was like two horses in front. Yeah. Come all the way back past the client's horse, got to my horse, sort of took my feet out of the stirrups and yeah. sort of rolled me and dragged me out from under the horse. <laughs> it was not good times. Wow. Yeah, that was lucky. So, yeah, scariest experience was last week, had a hunter in and uh, we're after moose and grizzly and left camp in the morning. I looked across the meadow and there's a grizzly bear right out in the middle of the meadow. And grizzly bears walk fast. Um, when they're running, they're extremely to, fast. But when they're walking... You get a jog to keep well, up with them. So we ran our horses across the meadow to the closest little bit of a hill there and set up waiting for this grizzly bear. Sure enough, this bear comes out 250 yards. It's about 220, 210 meters. And he sees us. He stands up and tries to catch wind of us, and he can't catch a wind, and he bluff charges us at about, he ran down the hill about 10 meters or so, and then he just carried on walking, and as he turned broadside, Hunter supposed to put a shot where he should have, and pulled the trigger, and the bear dropped, rolled around, and then walked off, or semi-loped and ran off into the willows, so congratulations and high fives all around, and we're like, okay, wait half an hour to an hour because I don't want to walk into a wounded grizzly bear. That's I've heard a lot of bad stories. So we sat on the hill and waited for an hour. And we're chatting away and <clears throat> frost is coming down even harder because it was right on sort of sunrise there. And it's a great time to go. So crossed the river with the horses, found blood. It's just someone had grabbed a jug of blood and just poured it out the whole just along the grass and up into the willows. It was like, perfect. He's he's not going to be too far. <laughs> so I loaded, uh, I was using one of Joel's uh, 
358. I know that gun. Yep. So, bullet up the spout and away we go and willows start getting thicker and thicker and crawling and climbing and using the end of the barrel to part willows because I can't see six feet in front of me. After about 500 yards, 800 odd meters or so, I turned to the client and I was like, I'm kind of freaking out right now. (laughs) He should be dead. (laughs) And his eyes just went like saucepans. (laughs) He's like, that's the last thing I want to hear a guide say. I was like, well, I'm honest. (laughs) So we carried on a little bit more and we went about three quarters of a mile and found where he had laid down. And uh, it's like, oh, cool. He's, He's hurt and lying down, so he won't be too far, but really bad news that he's not still in the bed <laughs> so went around the big tree and stood up on the next bit of a willow hump there and 20 yards in front of me all i hear is this grizzly bear growl and charge at us i can't see him because it's so thick in there all i see is the tops of the willows moving towards me just growling and moving it's quite a noise isn't it? <laughs> i can put it to like, I don't know if you've seen the Alien vs. Predator movies. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like that alien thing. <laughs> yeah, it's particularly when oh. they're pissed off like that. Oh, I mean, he was in the bear's defense. He had every reason to be mad. Oh yeah, he was. Yep. But it's so, not doesn't make you it makes you pucker up quite nicely, yep. doesn't it? Yep. So I pretty much just shat myself right then and there, and couldn't get a shot off because I couldn't see. And if I did shoot, I would have just hit the balsam tree in front of me anyway. And so next to us, there was a set of rocks. So I said to the hunter, I was like, let's go to the rock. He said, that's our only vantage point. Like it lifted us up about three feet off the ground. And it gives us a, at least a six-yard shot if he does come running into us. So I was like, well, let's wait another hour. Because um, he's still alive, so I'm not going to go in there. But he's hurt, so he should be dying. Stiffen up. <laughs> so anyway, the bear had run off. And I seen him run off. He went, last I seen the willows move was about 50 yards away. So I was like, okay, it's it's safe to move to the rock. So got up on the rock and the hunter's starting to get a little tired because his adrenaline's worn off. And and um, so he sits down and so I'm standing on the rock, gun at the shoulder because I didn't know what to expect. And I'm still shaking from the first growl. And um, on the hour, I said to the hunter, all right, let's go. Let's go try for round two. And as I said that, just outside of where the rocks ended, so about 10 yards away, this grizzly bear had come back and stalked us. And he was right there, let off another growl, charged us, and then took off back into the willows. And I fired a shot at the moving willows and didn't hit him, but it was my only reaction. <laughs> so, so he'd gone 50 yards. And came back. And then come skulking back and you Without, didn't notice. Nope. Every now and then I could hear a twig snap, but it sounded distant. Well, mm-hmm. at least 50 yards away. So I thought he was sitting in there waiting. Well, it's not in our DNA to be stalked. No. Well, it is, but it isn't. <laughs> you know, and it's it's scary. It oh, yeah. really is scary. The worst thing was, was not seeing him. Like, yeah, I know but- bears are scary, and I appreciate how scary they are. But now not seeing, <laughs> not seeing one, whole. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. Uh, once he go. charged the second time, I looked at the hunter. I was like, 
no, we're going back to camp. It's not worth it. No. It really isn't. And I mean, you didn't, I mean, you'd done everything right up to that point. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you can only get your hunter in a certain position. I mean, you obviously made a shot too far back, I'm assuming. Yeah. And then you went back, what, a day later? The next morning we went back with uh, the other guide. And um, so two of us were in front. He had a 357, I had a 358. And we walked up to the rocks where he last charged us. And I told him that's where he went. So we walked in there another 10 yards. He was still sitting there growling at us. No kidding. He, so we all backed off. And we couldn't see each other. We were literally hand-width apart, James and I. And we could barely see each other. And two hunters were behind us and looked at each other like, no, we'll go make another plan. So we went back, found a taller rock, told the hunters, you guys cover our backs and we'll um, go in. And uh, so we went in a little further and James climbed a tree to see if he could get above the willows and look down, but he couldn't see anything. And then I look across to see the hunter filming us. So he wasn't really <laughs> covering our backs. He's going to get a million hits on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So we decided, nope, let's give him a couple more days and see what happens. And we went back there two days later and, found where he had slept, <clears throat> where he had slept to where James and I went. He was on a little bit of a shelf, and we were under sort of like a little bit of balsam. So if we went another three or four steps, he could have easily just launched himself off that shelf on top of us. You would have seen him then. Yeah, but we, we couldn't see him, and that was his bed where he had slept a night or two, and then he had walked off. We couldn't find him. That's so we'd done, we done a circle around his bed trying to catch a bit of blood or anything but we couldn't pick him up it's and a real shame that you never found him because nobody likes the idea of an animal suffering at all no definitely not but, but I mean it's <laughs> bear hunting is that 358 so I <laughs> uh, I used that for a couple of seasons when I was working down in BC mm-hmm. so I used to grab it from Joel's place because it's easier just to pick a fire up here yep. than it is to fly with him so that 358, it's a similar experience in the fact that I made a couple of mistakes as a guide. Mm-hmm. So my first mistake was um, letting a client shoot too far on a grizzly bear. Mm-hmm. So grizzlies are built in the front end, and if you've, you've probably skinned a couple by now, they look yep. like <clears throat> bodybuilders in the front end. It's oh, very yeah. heavy muscle and heavy bone, their shoulder bone is very heavy so shooting a long way into the shoulder there's every chance if you're shooting a you know fast flat shooting projectile like a lot of guys carry these days in the Mm -hmm. 300s that you might not get the penetration so Mm -hmm. i learned that lesson i let him shoot too far i can't remember how much it was but it was under 400 above 350 somewhere in there Mm -hmm. too far for a bear in my opinion and this is the reason why so hit it in the front shoulder I mm-hmm. thought it was a good shot. He had enough time to rack another round and shoot again. And I knew that shot was back. Yeah. But that was when it was spinning. and So he got another shot before he went to the willow. So he had two bullets in it. So I thought, okay, first shot was definitely in the shoulder. Second shot was a bit far back. But, you know, yeah. it's just going to help him lose a bit more hydraulic yeah. pressure. So my second mistake was letting the client influence me 
at this point. So the precursor to it was it was the last day of his hunt. <clears throat> he already had a moose. He already had a goat. Yep. But he really wanted a grizzly bear. It was the last day of his hunt. He was flying out tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. There were there was a family of grizzly bears, so a sow and three cubs who were at least two years old, to the point where the boar of her cubs, so she had two female cubs and a male cub, he was actually bigger than she was. Oh, yeah. So they were full-grown almost cubs, but there was four of them. Yeah. And they were pretty much dominating the valley. So every time we knocked a moose over, they would dominate that moose kill, yeah. clean it up, and move on to the next thing. And they were currently on a moose kill probably only a mile up the valley. Yeah. And they'd been on it for a couple of days, so they would be finishing up soon and hungry. So my hunter's fear was, and it was a rational fear, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. that if we left that bear overnight, <clears throat> that those bears would move in and clean it up, which yep. they probably would have. It was right on dark when he shot. So I knew that I had, so it was probably an hour before daylight, but I knew that I had, you know, I like to give bears an hour before I even give them a thing. So I was like, well, I've got an hour before it gets dark. So I'll give it 45 minutes and then we'll go. And it had just snowed. It was the end of the season. So easy tracking. Got to where he was, picked up the blood, going, going along, and then he starts going uphill. So there's your first warning bell. Any animal that's hit and it starts climbing, it's not a good sign. Yep. <clears throat> so that's turned, where this bear went, straight yep, uphill. Straight uphill, which is, if a bear's going uphill, you haven't got lungs. Yeah. Period. Like, they don't go uphill if you get lungs. No. So, at that point, I knew that we were in trouble. So, I said to the client, look, we'll follow this as far as it goes, but if he gets into the timber, it's dark in there already, I'm not going inside. Yeah. And he mumbled and grumbled and carried on. So, I made him hold back sort of 50 yards behind me and told him that, you know, don't shoot unless it's on top of me. Because that was the year that a lesson guy got killed with um, his client shot over the top of him, shot him in the back of the head. <clears throat> yep. So that does happen. So I told him to hold back, just followed the blood, got to the timber. And I turned back to the client, I'm done. I'm not going in there. It's too dark. I'll come back tomorrow morning. Yeah. The client sort of, you could tell he was unhappy. So me being eager to please, I was like, look, oh, he might be dead just on the other side. I'll just have a quick look. So the spruce tree that he went under was a low spruce tree. So the branches came down right the, the trunk right to the ground. And I I got on physically got on my ch- my chest on the ground and looked, and I couldn't see it was dark. Yeah. But it was on a slope, and I thought, okay, if I go around the bottom of the spruce tree and look up, <laughs> I might be able to see in there. Yeah. So as I was getting around, I got just around the back. And how the story started, I had Joel's three fifty eight, yeah, one up the barrel. So I snuck around the side of that spruce tree, and just as I was getting to a point where I could see, he came. Yep. And he came hot, that horrible noise they make, <laughs> charge through that spruce tree. Yeah. And the first shot was through the spruce tree. He was probably at 10 yards maybe. Yeah. Second shot, he was closer, but rolling. And then I emptied that gun I don't remember doing it, but emptied it as he was going away from me down the hill. After that happened, he was down there and dead. Just as I was about to turn round, my client let rip with his, it was a freaking Weatherby, like a 300 (laughs) Weatherby Ultra, whatever the hell it was. Muzzle brake, you bet. So he'd closed the gap. He was right behind me. And just as I turned round, he let one go over my shoulder down into the bear. 
So I was wound up enough as it is. Yeah. And now, now I was basically <laughs> bleeding from the eardrums. Oh. For a shot that he didn't need to do. He just felt like he needed to be involved, yeah. I think. So oh, wow. just about blew my eardrum out. <laughs> but on closer study, exactly the same thing. That beer obviously had figured out that we were behind it. Yeah. Because we'd found a couple of times where we'd lay down out in the willows. Yep. Or in the buckbrush. But he got into there and he'd put himself in a little hole. If I pushed underneath that spruce tree, I would have been toast. Yep. Like he would have just reached up and swatted me to the ground. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, they heard a few stories like that where they'll, they've found them dead in the, the pounce position. Yeah. Uh, I think it, James's dad had a, they shot a grizzly bear and tracked it. And the grizzly bear actually made a circle and came back onto his track, and he was in the um, pounce position, position waiting right. for them to walk past. Yeah, hunting they predators think. is a different deal. It's scary. It's not like hunting the possum back home. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. But it's a scary thing, and I'm, I'm kind of like they've they've outlawed grizzly bear hunting in BC, and I've talked about this on that podcast on the podcast before, and it. You know, I've got no real desire to hunt bears. Like, I don't... No. It's not like I want to go out and buy a bear tag and go hunt bear hunting. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I know the benefit that hunting bears has on the overall population. Yeah. I mean, a <clears throat> hunted bear population has a higher um, uh, productive rate or productivity rate than a non-hunted one because you're taking yeah. out the mature boars, which generally, when they wake up in the springtime all they're eating is cubs yeah you know they actively predate cubs so you actually have a better survivability you're taking those big boars out of the system mm-hmm. who tend to be the ones who are killing moose calves caribou calves yep. sheep goats you name it anything yep. they can get a hold of yes they eat a, gra- a lot of grass and berries but if they can particularly in the springtime when there's young babies on the ground that's their number one go-to so if you're taking yep. those top tier boars the mature ones out of the system it's good for the overall system so i understand it i get it but it's there's something a little bit different about it and what gets me sometimes is a lot of guys who guide there's a little bit of ego involved and you know Mm -hmm. big bad bear hunter which when that starts happening particularly when you've got you know wounded bears or you're going and checking a kill and all that kind of stuff that macho stuff man it could get you chewed on Oh yeah, so damn quickly. Yep, <laughs> you probably understand that now. <laughs> oh yeah, yep. And when I was crawling up there looking for that bear, I remember a few words my dad said to me before I left Canada. He's he said, "There's no such thing as a dead hero." This is absolutely right. It, so, it literally isn't, nope. and it's yeah. Anyway, so I think we've probably I have talked. a whole new appreciation for them now. Aren't they just, impressive? And scary that noise they make. I'm not even going <laughs> to attempt to make it, but man, when they're oh, coming it's... and they're pissed, holy, makes yep. the literally making the hair stand up on my arms right now. Like, yep. ugh. it's pretty bad. Okay, here's a good question for you. One piece of kit that over the years, guiding, hunting, whatever, wouldn't you go without? Doesn't matter. What's something you always put in your backpack? Like when you leave tomorrow to go hunting, what are you going to put in your backpack? First thing I always take is my, obviously a good pack and binoculars. Binoculars? Yeah. It's different, a lot of glassing here, eh? Yeah. It's 
different back home. Yeah. You're up high. You'll sit up to sometimes four or five hours in a spot. Yeah. Like, obviously, you ride out and then might ride for two or three hours. And yeah. but you'll sit in one spot for three or four hours in glass. Yeah. I was saying to you on the way back, you picked me up from my sheep hunt down in BC there. First day, I sat from 7.30 in the morning mm-hmm. till probably 8.30 at night. Yep. Same spot. Looking at the same mountain. Mm-hmm. Didn't see anything. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, quite often, you do. Oh, yeah. And yet, you know, at that point, I could quite confidently go over there and know I'm not going to ruin any hunting because I've put the time and effort into glassing. But it's just such a vast country, particularly when you're up in the yeah. Alpine, like you can see for so far, and oh, there's yeah. so yeah. many little benches and nooks and crannies, and yep. you know, it take you know take you an hour and a half to glass everything, yep. and then you got to do it all again in case something stood up. <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah. And then after that would be a good knife. Good knife, like yeah. a Havlon, that you like can stick it in your body. Yeah. <laughs> Those things are sharp. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> Very sharp. Me and Curran are selling those in New Zealand. Did I tell you that? Oh, no. It's another thing we've upgraded since you left. Because <laughs> you couldn't the good get stuff them. Now. Couldn't get them in New Zealand. No. And we were buying that many knives from the Havilon guy at SCI every year. He was just like, what? <laughs> I mean, we, <laughs> surely you don't lose that many knives every year. Yeah. So no, we just buy them for our guys. And he's like, why don't you just become a dealer? Yeah. So we did. Nice. So you can buy our uh, knives at, what's the website? It's, I think it's uoe.com. No, uoegear.com. You can buy Havilon knives oh, and nice. blades. And we sell them at, we don't make any money on it. I can yeah, guarantee yeah. that. But I think you can buy them at oh, Hunting and Fishing or Gun City or something, but they charge like 120 bucks or something yeah, for freaking Havilon, which is <laughs> retarded. Yep. It's just ridiculous. Oh, yeah. So we've, I think they're 65 bucks for a Havilon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're really good. Um, I can do a moose and one to two blades. Yeah. And then caping is an extra blade, so three blades yeah. max on a moose. This last one. Do you know I what ruins them? Is silt. Take, well, yeah, silt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or taking, taking meat off skulls. Yep. Yeah. That's the guy, my guy had two European mounts, so he wanted yep. the full skull. <clears throat> so he'd chew through the blades doing that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just cutting up against that, and I think it—I don't know this for sure, but I think if you, when you boil out the skull, it's probably going to have a whole lot of Havilon chunks on it. <laughs> probably. It occurred to me about three quarters of the way through my second one, I was like, "Man, I wonder if this is actually doing more harm than good." Putting, or using a Havilon to take the meat off, yeah, because you're getting close to the skull, and then you—I'd say you're marking it up. Oh, marking the skull. I don't know. I've never had a complaint, and I've never thought about it. But I was just sort yeah. of halfway between listening to a um, Joe Rogan podcast yeah. with Elon Musk. Have you heard that one? If no. you listen, do you listen to podcasts every now and then when I'm out of the bush? <laughs> so Joe Rogan did one with Elon Musk. Yeah, and it was one of those ones, and I listened to it. Like started it when I was caping, and then listened to the rest of it up on the mountain this week. Yeah, and I was just lying there. I was like whoa, <laughs> this is way too heavy. <laughs> like he was talking about some really dark stuff oh wow yeah and Elon Musk is a smart guy yeah like next level like AI <laughs> yeah type I was just like whoa Whole. anyway that's a yeah. little bit off topic okay unlimited budget unlimited time anywhere in the world what would you hunt and why 
Love to go after a kudu and a gems buck. Kudu and gems buck. They're why? In, uh, they just look pretty. You just like the look of them. Yeah. I don't know why I've always just, even before coming to Canada, I've always just had a you fascination can hunt for them. Kudu in South Africa on the East Cape Free Range. Mm-hmm. It's a really cool hunt. Yeah. It was one of the first ones I ever did with Jim. Chucky. Oh, yeah. Yep. And really, really cool hunt, actually. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. And the other one would be uh, some sort of cat, like a big mountain lion down BC or Alberta there. Big yeah, cat. That's, that's certainly yeah. doable. Yeah. Why, did, gonna, why are you drawn to that? Just the dog factor or just because you like looking at them? Dog factor and just the look. Just cruising through the snow instead of looking for wolves because I've got a few wolves now so yeah might as well try for a cat either with dog or without a dog but the only way to get them really is with a dog yeah, there's, there's really no way to get them without dogs mm. I mean you can but it's you got to spend a lot of time yeah just out there in the mountains doing it yeah yeah otherwise that's I mean I've got a new appreciation for sheep now I never really <laughs> thought much about sheep <laughs> it's addictive, dude. Like, it's addictive. Yeah. Like, I've just, like, how long I was away? I was away for six nights on mm-hmm. my own. And I haven't done a solo hunt in a long time. And it hadn't really occurred to me until I started off on my own. I thought, this is a bit weird. Yeah. And there's something about sheep. Like, I hunted for five days before I saw one. Yeah. And stone sheep are aptly named they're not named after stones they're named after the guy who discovered them someone stone i think yeah maybe wrong on that but they look like stone stones <laughs> and where i was hunting there's just rocks yeah. everywhere and patchy snow so the two things you can tell find of a stone sheep is, a, <laughs> is the fact that they're they're gray yeah or they've got a big white ass yeah so when you have both of those key indicators taken away from you Hunting colorblind. You're literally just (laughs) picking through rocks, looking for a something that doesn't look right for hours and hours and hours and hours, (laughs) glassing through my spotting scope. Yeah, just mountains. You know, the ones I ended up seeing on day five were three point eight kilometers away. Yeah, and when when I saw them, they stuck out like a sore thumb. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh yeah. There they are. There they are. <laughs> That's what they look like. I was starting to doubt myself. I was like, man, maybe I just don't know what I'm looking for or I'm missing them or they're not yeah. here. But they are. They're just doing their thing. And mm-hmm. it's such big country that you've got to be looking at the right place at the right time. Yeah. You know, and it's just pop up and check that basin. You know, <laughs> two hours later, you're still climbing up to get in there. You, yep. Yeah, uh, it and sometimes with the range finder on my binoculars, I'll, I'll just pop up there. Wonder how far that is. No range, no range, no range. <laughs> Work all the way down halfway up. There's a you hit it and it's a kilometer away. Like, Holy yeah. shit, it's a two kilometer walk. Walk to get to straight that point. up. Straight up. <laughs> Ooh, maybe I won't check that basin. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, anything you want to say to our hunting audience back in New Zealand? Do you miss New Zealand? Oh yeah, think about New Zealand all the time. I like the sort of the freedom of the hunting back there. You know, here it's all permitted and whatnot, which is you do totally... get your way. There won't be anything to freaking yeah, exactly. hunt when you get home, buddy. <laughs> exactly. They'll smoke these tar and then they'll move on to the next thing. Yep, it'll just be the deer next. Yeah, it'll yep. be the deer next. Yeah, yep. but obviously over here you need the permits and all that because of they 
they're fighting predators and the winters and then and the hunters so you need to control it a lot whereas we're so lucky back in new zealand to have none of that like we're just so lucky a lot of yeah we can just go hunt like a lot of like i never really appreciated it until i came here and saw a whole different view of hunting and it's like man we're so lucky back home to have what we have it's a blessing and a curse though yeah (laughs) the curse is the department of conservation can turn around with less than two weeks notification and say we are going to exterminate himalayan Mm -hmm. tar from this area yeah i mean they're endangered species for crying out loud the yeah. reason they introduced them to New Zealand in the first place is to make sure to, they didn't yeah. go extinct in Nepal. Yeah. And look what we're doing. <laughs> yep. It's just mindless. Oh, yeah. So, yes, we can hunt 365 days of the year. Yes, we don't have to buy a tag. And yes, it's free. Yeah. But the price we pay for that. That is true. Yeah. Is what's coming up. Yeah. And everybody's going to, you know, and rightly so, throw their hands up in disgust. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But the reality is if we were managing them like a resource and we had proper management plans that hunters bought into, that doc bought into, that forest and bird bought into, and we said, okay, this zone, we need to have X number of tar based on this scientific study that shows it is Mm -hmm. a carrying capacity of X. This is the accepted level. You know, and everybody plays their part. Then we wouldn't have somebody stepping in like Eugene Sage. Now she's got her hands on the wheel. Yep. Smoke them all. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. On that horrible and depressing note, we shall draw <laughs> this to a an aptly conclusion. How long have we gone for? Pause record? No. Uh, an hour and 16 minutes. That's not too bad. Oh, nice. Yeah. Cool. Anything else you want to add? No. Just if you guys get a chance. Oh, no. Up. Stop. Oh, sign up for what? Yeah, that's a the good o- one. The OE. The, the ultimate OE. Yeah. Certainly changed your life, isn't it? Oh, yeah. We're going to, you, Lenny. Yeah, how many is yeah, How many got married? There's a few <laughs> got married now, cooks and sister-in-laws. And we we always joke about sending you guys an additional in, invoice, but we never quite got around to it. No. <laughs> <laughs> Should have sent it to as a wedding present. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was the second wrangler Joel had that got married. Second one? Yeah. Troy, yeah, I don't think he met Troy, but no, I heard his name he wrangled and met James's sister, and then he got Where married. He goes. And, yeah, here's a question: the chaga mushroom thing. Oh yeah, this is chaga tea. Yeah, yeah. So there's a fungus that grows on the side of birch trees, which is only found in the northern hemisphere, and the Yukon is pretty much almost as far north as you can go. <laughs> yeah, and um. Yeah, there's lots of it around, and it's high in uh, medicinal purposes. It's been proven to show anti-cancerous properties, um, balancing hormones. Um, it's uh, antibacterial and antifungal. It's just pretty much a superfood of all superfoods. If you have, um, there's a scale that they call the orc scale, hmm. and blueberries is considered the the highest antioxidant fruit out there and goji berries and all those kind of things and they're sitting at a level i don't know the actual figures but they're sitting at around ten thousand. chugger blows both of those out of the water and they're sitting at 50 to sixty thousand. really 
Yeah. Because I drink it blended with lion's mane mushroom. Oh, yeah. And coffee. Yeah. And I don't drink it every day because mm-hmm. it lights me up like yep. a Christmas tree. <laughs> and I'm worried that if I drink it every day, I'll, it'll become dependent on it. Yeah. But never it's just the chaga. probably the caffeine and the coffee. No, it's less, no. Than, less caffeine than a oh. cup of coffee. Yeah. So it's actually uh, less than 20% of the caffeine yeah. of what you'd find in a normal cup of coffee. Oh, yeah. Yep. So I can drink it past 12 o'clock in the afternoon i can drink it three or four o'clock in the afternoon if i'm lagging yeah and it'll pick me up yep and i can still sleep if i do that with a espresso a shot at three or four o'clock i won't sleep yeah so it's so it's not okay it's yeah. certainly piqued my interest yeah and i saw a bag of coffee in there that you've done is that right yep so we started out with uh the tea yeah um everybody sells it in a chug of chunks and right. um Liz and I got talking and we were like, well, the world is getting lazy. As sad as it is, the world is getting lazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no one wants to put a chunk of mushroom in a slow cooker and cook it for six hours and then drink the tea. Like, you've wasted half your day waiting for your cup of tea. Yeah, so, no kidding. It's like, let's put it in a tea bag. So we started out and with a blender and a hammer, threw it, ground up the chugger. Liz designed a couple of tea uh, flavors. She's got a chai and one that she calls a super chugger, which has got dandelion root, which is a substitute for coffee. Right. doesn't have caffeine in it, but it's a substitute for coffee. And burdock and a few other goodies in there. And it actually smells like uh, Zambuca. No kidding. So like yeah. a licorice um, It's got no licorice aniseed. taste. Yeah, aniseed. Right. No yeah. licorice taste, but smells like aniseed. Yeah. Okay. So... And then we started filling tea bags by hand. We <laughs> bought some empty tea bags off Amazon and I was like, well, let's give it a go, see if it sells. And yeah. see, we'd ask uh, Courtney and Joel around for a tea bagging party. And <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, we'd all sit there and fill up tea bags and weigh them and seal them. And within the first, so we started November 2nd. Yeah. By Christmas, we'd sold 5,000 tea bags. And you did 5,000 by hand? By, fa- by hand. <laughs> by February, we had done 10,000 tea bags by hand. And then by the March, I think we got to about 13,000, 14,000. And Liz and I would say, this is ridiculous. Because it took an hour to do 100 tea bags by hand. So we'd done 13,000 <laughs> tea bags. Whoa, so 130 odd hours. Filling tea bags, so we invested in a tea bagging machine. And so we have a machine now that we that does three thousand tea bags an hour. Oh, that's a bit better. <laughs> <laughs> see the economics in that. Yeah, so yeah, she's selling tea like crazy. Um, wow, good for you guys. She's been awesome. doing at least a thousand fifteen hundred tea bags a month, just going out the door. And, and where do you sell them mostly? Um, she's in eight stores throughout the Yukon, a couple in Alberta. Nice. Yeah. And they're so, shifting that many. Yep. Wow. And, um, Can I have some? Yeah. Good. Give you a box of tea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then um, Liz contacted one of the stores, uh, B North Coffee, that makes coffee up there. And yeah, we're starting to mix coffee and chaga together. Nice. So we went up there and had a, I never realized there was a, it's like wine tasting. Oh, yeah. Coffee, the coffee people, 
They're worse than the wine you people. clearly haven't been to Wellington in a while, brother. No. <laughs> I've only been, ever been to Wellington once. Yeah. No. <laughs> and, yeah, different – there's, like, a whole chart of different flavors. And mm-hmm. we done the swish and sniff and swirl and spit, and we found the perfect coffee. That it was really nice. Yeah. With the chugger, the right amount of chugger, and it actually enhances the flavor of the coffee. No kidding. Yeah, the chugger brings out the flavor of the coffee, and we're selling that like crazy. No kidding. Okay, I'm done... to give me some of that too. I'll buy it. You don't have to give it to me. <laughs> but. but there was a, we used, because we found that the tea bag with the fine sort of, we call it chugger dust, but yeah. was coming through the tea bag. Right. So we filter that out now and, and then put that, that into, the, into coffee. the coffee because coffee has got a bit of wax or it's slightly wet. Right. So it actually sticks to the coffee. It doesn't coffee. come out until you don't end up with too many dead horses in the bottom of your coffee, mate. No. Awesome. So, yeah, you put that through your percolator or whatever and boom, you got a healthy coffee drink. <laughs> awesome. Well, to be continued, I will certainly be sampling of that. Yep. Awesome. All right, bud. Thanks very much for no taking the time. It's been a pleasure. I don't know how this will turn out. I feel like we kind of rambled a little bit, but yeah. you get that on the big jobs. <laughs> We've been quietly sipping away on a few beers here too because, yeah. to be honest, I needed one after that sheep hunt. My body does not deal with that as well as it used to. <laughs> <laughs> Death to love handles. Yep. Anyway, good luck on your hunt tomorrow. Yep, go out tomorrow. Good luck for the rest of the season. Stop stabbing yourself with Havilon blades. <laughs> Two more moose. Two more moose and you're done. Yeah. How many is that for the season? You'd be running them up now. Four. I've got four so far. Two to go, so that'll be six. That's a lot. A lot of moose. I think Joel said if you get the sixth one, it'll be probably the most moose taken out of Caesar. For one guy. For guide. one guide in one season. I think I got close to that. It, I might have only got five. I can't remember. In BC, but he's going to whack them and stack them a bit more there. Yeah, it's... <laughs> Beginning not to like moose. They're too big. There's so much work. There's so much fun. But, man, these Alaskan Yukon moose, I walked up to the one the other day and I was like, damn. (laughs) I forgot how big these were. And I went to lift the quarter up and I was like, holy smokes. Especially the mountain Yukon moose. Yeah. They are a lot bigger than the ones on the lakes and rivers. Very big. And even Joel, who's been around a lot of moose. Mm -hmm. So we, because we're on a shallow, short lake, we were boning our moose out before we flew them out to save on weight because yeah. we're going to we're having to shuttle meat down to a lower lake <laughs> to fly it out so i boned it all out mm-hmm. and separated it in bags and we bring it out in sort of big white sort of grain bags yeah joel said he picked up the first hind quarter out of the plane and he was like man i thought i told matt to bone these out <laughs> he was like this is heavy and then he sort of felt it and was all sort of but jubbly and squidgy and he's like man this is boned out man yeah. this must be you know it's that outfitter's body coming up yeah yeah <laughs> he's getting soft around the edges <laughs> uh, be right. careful I'm podcasting him tomorrow he may have some stories about you son most likely <laughs> alright bud cheers cheers thank you for listening to the educated hunter podcast if you would like to receive a short email from us once a fortnight that contains everything that we've found interesting, educational, entertaining or inspiring within the hunting world, as well as updates on relevant hunting issues, our on-the-ground initiatives and any upcoming events, please visit theeducatedhunter.com forward slash join. You can also check us out on Instagram at theeducatedhunter 
Or finally, join the conversation in the Educated Hunter Facebook group. The links for all this can be found below in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening and catch you on the clearing.